You are listening to the Purpose Church High School Ministry Podcast. Whether this is your first episode or you've heard them all, God has something to say to you. Our vision is to see every student everywhere following Jesus, and we hope this message helps you take your next step in your faith. To learn more about our high school ministry, visit our website, purposechurch.com HSM, and check us out on Instagram at purposehsm. We hope you enjoy today's episode. You guys, when I was a junior in, uh, when I was a junior higher, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, skateboarding was my life. I lived by the motto, skate or die. I mean, it's just, it was all I did. In fact, my heart's obsession, my heart's obsession was skateboarding. In fact, I would walk around, and if I was on a college campus, I would think about the stair sets or the planters or the rails and how I could skateboard them. I would wake up really early in the morning and I would go to a local bank on a school day and I would skate for about an hour and a half in the morning and then it was okay because I was a junior higher and junior hires you just do whatever you want. In junior high, I would show up to school sweaty, smelly, and nasty and I loved it because I had just been skateboarding. I'd go throughout the day and then I would skate all afternoon into the evening. It was my obsession. So much so that it really occupied all of my attention. And it was my primary focus. I I remember one time I was uh, skateboarding at the local college that was right down the street from my house. And as I was skateboarding at this college, which I had skated there so many times before, uh, this police officer snuck up on us and sounded the siren and said, Stop skating! And I had been caught skating and given written citations so many times at this college. Well, this time, I was stuck. I was caught. And the police officer got out and pulled out his pad of paper and started asking me information about myself. And as a junior hire, again, my brain isn't even full, isn't even half developed as a junior hire. It's like just beginning development. I, I started to tell him a bunch of things about me as he was asking me questions. I told him my name and my address and uh, my phone number. And then something, again, you know, your teenage brain just kind of clicks and does weird things. And I remember all of a sudden I was like, you know what would be really funny is if I lied to this police officer. And I remember this is before I was a Christian. So I started to lie to the police officer and tell him all kinds of fake information about myself. The problem is I had told him the most important information truthfully. So after I had finished that interview process, I started to uh, leave this uh, school campus and I met up with my buddy who had kind of run from the police and, and we met and we started to walk home and I had told him, I said, hey, I lied to that officer. I didn't tell him what he was really wanting to know. And I felt so cool as a junior hire because skateboarding was my heart's obsession. And as I'm walking down my street and I'm about three houses away from my front door, I look behind me and that same police car that had pulled me over is now pulling into my neighborhood. And that tough kid that I was with my friend, oh, it shriveled up real quick. And I said... Ah! And I ran inside. I remember I ran inside and I said, Mom, 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 tell him I'm not here. And she's like, tell who? What? Well, I, I run inside and I hid in this bathroom. And I didn't even 
have a relationship with God at this point, but I was like, God, come back now. And I'm sitting in this bathroom that like kind of backs up to the entry walkway to our front door. And, and I hear these kind of boots stomping against the walkway. And I hear this knock on the front door. And my mom answers the door and the officer says, hello, ma'am, is Eric Holmstrom here? And my mom walks over to the bathroom where I was and she opens the bathroom and she goes, Eric, there's a police officer here for you. And I was like, well, I don't know. So I got out and I uh, walked to the front door and, and he goes, hi, Eric, do you remember the conversation we just had? And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, well, you lied to me about this, this, and that. And I said, I, 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 I don't remember lying to you. I, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I have the whole thing audio recorded. And then he began to tell me how if he wanted to, because I had been caught skating there so many times and they had busted me and given me so many citations, that he could take me to juvenile hall right there on the spot. And you gotta remember, when I was a junior higher, I was probably like four foot one and weighed about 32 pounds. So I was not fit for juvie hall at this time of my life, okay? And so I freaked out. I remember getting so nervous. But here's the thing. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. And skateboarding was my heart's obsession. And so I found myself in numerous situations like that. But then... In fact, I think we have some photos of me. Let's go to those if we can pop those up. Okay, so this is me. <laughs> that great? That was me doing a little thing. But then let's go to this next photo. This is a photo of me skating as a junior higher somewhere. I don't know what. That was like a Polaroid photo. It's just the weirdest thing. You have to develop it, and it's crazy. But, well, then I went to Forest Home. I went to the camp that we're all going to go to this summer. I went to Forest Home with no intention of following Jesus, with no intention of giving my life to Christ. In fact, I've told you guys this before, I went to Forest Home because a really cute girl was also going to Forest Home. And I anticipated, I said, we're maybe gonna kiss, and that would be awesome. That was my whole motivation to go to camp. But like some of you have had the experience before, I went to camp to meet a girl. God brought me to camp to meet him. And the transformation that took place in my life that week of camp, and particularly that Thursday night when I surrendered my life to Christ, changed everything. And all of a sudden, my heart's obsession became Jesus, became following Jesus. But I, I struggled because I still loved skateboarding. And it still felt like it was a part of my obsessive thoughts. And yet I'd become a Christian and, and all of a sudden when I was skateboarding at banks and then police would show up and I was running from the cops, it felt weird. That all of a sudden as I was hanging out with some of the friends who were smoking and drinking and doing all these things that I used to do with them, it, it just didn't feel right. I had this war going on within me and it really revolved around which obsession of my heart would win in the end. And so I remember as a freshman in high school, I prayed. And I said, God, if you want to change the obsession of my heart, 
you can do that. I, I can't. And I wonder if there's some of you here who you are able to easily identify what the obsession of your heart is. Maybe it's what people think about you. It's the thing you obsess about. Maybe it's, it's your status. Maybe it's a way you spend your Friday nights and your Saturday nights. I don't know what your heart's obsession is. And maybe you've thought before, man, I know that needs to change, but I don't know how. I'm here to remind you, you probably can't change it on your own. But I remember praying, God, change my heart. And he did. And here's the thing. I, I still love to skateboard. And whenever I can, I still get out and skateboard and I enjoy it. But I'm not, I wasn't doing the same things that I used to do. And in fact, it was as if now that I was skateboarding as a Christian, there was a new purpose behind it. I formerly found my purpose in my skateboarding, but my new purpose was found in Christ. And then all of a sudden, I started to experience the adventure of following Jesus that nothing else could compare to. I remember one time I was uh, walking to school as a high school student. Remember, I became a Christian going into my freshman year of high school. I, I, I was walking to school, and, and I would pray this often as I was walking to school. I would say, God, my life belongs to you. Do whatever you want today. And I'm telling you, if, if some of you are wondering, does God answer prayers? He answers that prayer every time. And if you want to see God move in your life, pray on your way to school tomorrow. God, my life belongs to you. Do whatever you want with my day tomorrow. So I prayed that, and I was walking to school, and, and all of a sudden I, I was in this uh, conceptual physics class. It was like this uh, like a really fancy name, but it meant like you suck at math. So like that's the class that I was in. And I'm sitting in this class, and, and we could sit wherever we wanted. And on this particular day, we had a substitute, and the sub said, just work on your projects. And as I'm sitting in this class... I remember the young woman who sat next to me, her name was Heidi. And Heidi was um, the president of the witchcraft club on our campus. I didn't go to Western, okay? So she was the president <laughs> of the witchcraft club on our campus. And at that time, I was one of the leaders of the Bible club on our campus. And I remember she sat next to me and... She turned to me and she said, I don't get it. Why do you even believe in Jesus? And oh my goodness, everything in me felt anxious and nervous and wanted to retreat and wasn't sure how to answer that. But I had remembered praying, God, my day belongs to you. Do whatever you want with it. And I'm here to tell you that I don't think it's just because I'm, you know, an old bald man. I, I don't remember a lot of high school. And I know the things that a lot of you are experiencing right now are incredibly important and are significant and occupy a lot of your mental space. There will come a day where they won't anymore. A lot of what you're experiencing, you will forget. I don't remember taking the AP test, probably because I did so horribly. I don't remember, like, the, the finals at school. I don't remember the sports scores. I don't remember what me and my friends talked about during lunch. Like there is so much of high school I don't remember, but I will never forget Heidi. 
I will never forget Heidi. A few years after that, while I was still in high school, I remember praying one day, God, my life belongs to you. Do whatever you want with it. And as I was walking to school that day, I went about some of my classes and then it was lunchtime and I was walking to get some lunch. And as I was heading to get some lunch, I noticed this guy sitting by himself in our quad area, which just felt kind of unusual. And I felt God tell me, Eric, I want you to go talk with him. Just this nudging, not like a voice, but just, just this nudging, like go talk with him. And I had this like argument with God and I was like, God, that's weird. I'm in high school. Nobody does that. We don't just go up to random people and talk to them. That's weird. And he's like, I'm telling you to do it. And so I walked up to this guy and I said, hey, my name's Eric. What's your name? I'd never seen him before. And he, he turned to his backpack and he pulled out this piece of paper and he started to write on it and he handed it to me. And on the piece of paper, it said, hi, my name is Joe. I'm deaf, so I don't like to talk, but we can write. And for a month, every single lunch, Joe and I sat together and we talked. And he shared with me about how he was an atheist and how he wanted nothing to do with God, that he couldn't understand how God wouldn't allow him to hear. And it really rocked his faith. I don't remember prom. I don't remember the songs that we listened to. I don't remember if we did anything for senior ditch day or any of the other events. I don't remember the rallies from high school. But I will never forget Joe. You see, the, the, the question that I want us to wrestle with is what's my purpose. What's my purpose? You see, I got, I got some photos. When I, this, was, this was my freshman year of high school. Let's show this picture real quick. This is, this is Forest Home Summer Camp where you're all going this summer. This was summer of 2001. You guys weren't even like an idea in your parents' brains at this point. Your parents were probably just like beginning teen love with each other, okay? So like, you didn't, we weren't even an idea. Summer of 2001. I'm at summer camp. That's me up in the top right corner. I think we have another photo that kind of zooms in on it, okay? Okay, that's me. That's me, summer of 2001 as a high school student. I'm being held like a child, okay? That's me. That's me. Here's what's crazy, guys. Here's what's crazy. And maybe, maybe you're not sure about summer camp yet. Let's go to the next photo. That's my wife, Sarah. That's Sarah right there. We were at the same camp on the opposite sides. If we go back to that next photo, go back to that next photo. Look, she's over there and I'm over there. And what's awesome is she had like a crush on another guy. There's no way she would have ever married me then, but ha, 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 we got her. So, so we got her, but... From this moment on, my life began to, began to radically change. Now, to, just to recap you, in case you haven't been here with us a few weeks. Week one, we answered the question, who am I? This really important question that every one of you have to answer. In fact, all of you are answering it with your lives. It's just, what's the answer? 
The answer from God's word is, I am a child of God. That when you begin a relationship with Jesus, you become a child of God and you orient your life around your heavenly father's desires. The second question last week that we wrestled with is, where do I belong? Where do I belong? And we said, you belong in God's family. That whether you have a great biological family or a really difficult biological family, it doesn't matter because you have a spiritual, forever Christian family called the family of God. Now, here's our big idea for tonight. The gospel answers the question, what's my purpose? This is our final question to address. The Bible answers the question, what's my purpose, by empowering me to go into all the world, not looking for my purpose, but already knowing I have one to help others know and follow Jesus like I do. We, we get it mixed up. We get it sideways when we think about what's my purpose. You're thinking, I'm asking, are you going to be an engineer or are you going to be a nurse or are you going to be a teacher or are you going to be a stay-at-home parent or are you going to get married? Are you going to live here or there? No, no, I, I'm asking a far deeper question. What's your purpose as a follower of Jesus? And we don't, as Christians, we don't go out in the world looking for some kind of purpose. We already have it, and it's to help others know and follow Jesus like I do. And when you answer the questions, who am I, where do I belong, and what's my purpose according to God's word, there is an incredible amount of peace and comfort and inspiration and purpose behind your days, even if you're in a tough situation. But let me unpack it a little bit more for us. Our first big idea is this. God has a purpose. God has a purpose. You see, this idea of what's my purpose never started with humans asking a question that hasn't already been answered. But I would argue this, the reason we as humans ask that question, the reason you have already asked this question before we came here tonight, the reason you're still curious what's my purpose is because you were made, you were created by a God of purpose. You were created by a God with a purpose for a purpose. Having a purpose did not originate, it did not generate out of us. It originated with God. And I want to show you this all throughout Scripture. Genesis chapter 12, the very first book of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Look at what it says. The Lord had said to Abram, this is before even Abram had his name changed to Abraham. This is O.G. Abraham. The Lord said to O.G. Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Verse two, we'll go through these. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. And Abram's going, awesome. This is great. God's taking notice of me. God's gonna make me great. And you will be a blessing. Let's go to the next verse, verse three. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You see, God was clear. 
He said, I love you, Abram. I've chosen you. I see you. I care about you. But I've got a purpose for you. The purpose is this. God wants to bless everyone. God said all people will be blessed. God's purpose, God's desire, God's heart is he wants to bless everyone. But that's not it. The story continues. So it starts in Abram's day. He says, I want you to go and to be a blessing. I'm choosing you. I'm loving you. But Abraham, I got a purpose for your life. And it's to go and be a blessing because I want to bless the world. But it continues. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. This is a bomb passage, you guys. This is a dope one to consider memorizing. God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Dang, God's got a big vision. What is it? It's God wants to save everyone. God wants to save everyone. God wants to bless everyone. God wants to save everyone. Now, this is important. That word there in that passage, if we can go back to it, if we go back to the passage, it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. The word Gentiles in the Hebrew language, which is what Isaiah was originally written in, the Hebrew word is goy. Can everybody say goy on the count of three? One, two, three. Goy. And it means nations. It means world. It means everyone who isn't Jewish. In other words, God is saying, you know what? Unfortunately, Israel has lost sight of their global call from God, and they've forgotten their missional purpose. He's saying, Israel missed it. I told Abram, I'm going to bless you so that you could be a blessing to the whole world. Not just a blessing to one people group. Not just a blessing to those that you naturally connect with, but the purpose was to be a blessing to the whole world. They had lost sight of it, and here God reminds them in this passage, the goal is that you have my purpose on your hearts. God says, my desire is that what I obsess about, saving the whole world would become the thing you obsess about. What are you obsessing about? What are you obsessed with? Well, they had, they had lost it. Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 to 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I I love the way scripture, you see things that you just haven't seen before. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. 
Some of you have cried so many tears. Some of you, you have cried so much that you're not even sure you still have tears left. And you have cried tears and felt totally alone. God promises you he will personally wipe your tears away. How great is God's love for you? He says, I'm not going to send somebody else to clean you up, to wipe your tears. I'm going myself to wipe your tears away. See, God wants to dwell with everyone. God has a purpose. God wants to bless everyone. God wants to save everyone. God wants to dwell with everyone. And the best part of heaven is that we get God. That's the best part of heaven. We get God forever. Now, God wanting to bless everyone, God wanting to save everyone, God wanting to dwell with everyone is God's passion in his heart, but we have to choose him. I'm not saying God will bless everyone. I'm not saying God will save everyone. I'm not saying God will dwell with everyone because it hinges on our willingness to receive what he has done for us. But what I'm communicating here is God's purpose and his desire. So you were created by a God who comes into our lives, reveals himself to us as a God who has purpose. But then check out this. The disciples, the early followers of Jesus, the disciples had purpose. If you've got your Bibles, flip open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 in in the New Testament goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. Acts chapter 1. Check out how this story unfolds. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I just love this little tidbit that that Jesus spent a lot of time proving to the disciples that he was actually who he said he was. That, that he comes back from the dead, and they're not just to be like, oh yeah, cool, we believe you. Like, just picture that. Picture this guy that you saw literally die on a cross. You saw him go inside of a tomb, and everything in you told you, I would never see him again. And then all of a sudden, like, you're having IHOP with him the next day? Like, that's just weird, Right? Like you're, 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 you're eating some tacos and you're like, what is going on? You see, he had to convince them because they had never seen somebody like that come back from the dead. Because it was so unfathomable. But I think the second reason he had to convince them is because Christianity then wasn't like it is now in the United States even. I mean, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, at this point, there are only 120 believers. And the disciples, they are counting the cost of following Christ. 
They recognize that if they proclaim in their context to the Roman Empire that Jesus is the one true king, that he is the only God of the universe, and the only way to be saved is by submitting to him and making Jesus the Lord of your life instead of Caesar the Lord of your life, they know it's going to cost them their lives. And so they're spending a lot of time evaluating, is Jesus really who he said he was. What continues, verse four and five. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This gift that Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, verses six to eight. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Let me just pause there for a second. He's essentially saying to the disciples, hey, this idea of when am I going to come back again, it's on a need-to-know basis and you just don't need to know it right now. And the reality is, is there's even Christians today, sometimes even churches today, that get a lot of people willing to follow them. And their message is, essentially, I can predict when Jesus is going to come back. They look at historical events, things going on in the world. They take a few passages out of context. They say, this is when Jesus is going to come back. And I want to encourage you and caution you. To not follow that kind of teaching because, and this is kind of my favorite response. In, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So if I meet somebody who's like, man, I know when Jesus is coming back, I'm like, that's crazy because he didn't even know when he's coming back. You know? He didn't even know. But what Jesus does is he gives his disciples a clear purpose. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, disciples, here's your purpose. Be my witnesses and go everywhere. Go everywhere and be my witnesses. Now, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, it's Koine Greek. The word witness here is martyros. Martyros. It's actually where we get the word martyr from. You see, to be a witness is to be willing to testify to the truth about who Jesus is even if it costs you your life. You see, the martyrs, the Christians who testified to Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and died, they were witnesses. But Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. For a high schooler in 2023, here's what I think those places are. Jerusalem is your family. Jerusalem is where they were. 
They're, they're receiving this message. They're, they're in the area of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is your family. But then he says, I want you to go out to Judea. Judea is your friends. And then he says, I want you to go out into Samaria. That's your networks. And here's what I mean by your networks. It's your social media. It's your gaming networks. It's your classes, your band, the crew that you hang out with at lunch. It's the cast in the play that you're a part of. Jesus says, I don't want you to just be my witness in one area, in one sphere, in in a few relationships in your life. No, I want you to be my witnesses in your family. I want you to be my witnesses amongst your friends. And I want you to be my witnesses in the rest of your networks. Which begs the question, how are you doing being Christ's witness in your Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? And if we go, b- go back to that list real quick, maybe, maybe just ask yourself as you see this, which of those areas, your family, your friends, your networks, are you not being a witness of Christ? Well, here's what's interesting is, Even though Jesus said, I want you to go, it didn't happen quite yet. Acts chapter 7, verse 59 says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. While Stephen, a follower of Jesus, is being pummeled to death with rocks because of his proclamation of the gospel and the truth about Jesus. He cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I just, this, this blows my mind because I feel like whenever I stub my toe, right? Like if I stub my toe, I want to blame someone, you know? I'm like, Charlie, you put that there. Like I, I want to blame someone. Like if anything painful happens to me, I want to lash out. Stephen is literally getting rocks thrown at him. And his response is, Father, don't hold this against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep and Saul or Paul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. That's exactly what Jesus told them to do, but up to this point, they had not. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then verse four, those who had been scattered to Judea and Samaria preached the word wherever they went. You see, the Jewish Christians were huddled together and then at this point, they finally scattered like Jesus had told them to. You see, I think our issue is that we think Jesus is just for me. That we're fine just hanging out in Jerusalem, doing our thing, thinking Jesus is just for me. But friends, the gospel, the true story of how we can be saved and have a new identity, community, and purpose through the death and resurrection of Jesus was never meant to be hoarded, but always meant to be shared. Which leads to our last big idea, and then we'll break into groups. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. I have a purpose. Number one, be an ambassador. Your purpose, number one, is this. Be 
an ambassador. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 to 21 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Your first purpose is to represent Christ with your character and your message. Your first purpose is to be an ambassador, a representative of Christ with your character and your message. I want you to think about this for a minute. People won't hear, bless you. God bless you. That was loud. Okay, here we go. People, I'm just kidding. It was a normal sneeze, normal sneeze. Um, <laughs> people won't hear Jesus through you if they don't see Jesus in you. People won't hear Jesus through you if they don't see Jesus in you. But the opposite is true. People won't see Jesus in you if they don't hear Jesus through you. People won't hear Jesus. They won't connect your words and say, oh, that sounds like Jesus if they're not seeing you live it out with your life. But they also won't see Jesus in you if you're not willing to talk about him. If you're not willing to share your faith. And number two, the second part of your purpose is to be a disciple maker. Be a disciple maker. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Remember how in Isaiah 49, 6, God said, I want you to go and be a light for all nations. See, Jesus is just repeating God's purpose God's mission from the beginning, disciple making. Maybe you're wondering, what does that even mean? What does it mean to go make disciples? How can that be my purpose? What does that mean? Disciple making involves introducing people to Jesus, telling people about Jesus, sharing about Jesus with people in your life, with your family, your friends, and your networks. It means baptizing people for Jesus. And if you've never been baptized, that's your next step. Jesus commanded it. If you've never been baptized, but you're a follower of Christ, your next step is to get baptized. It involves helping people grow in Jesus. Jesus said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always. It involves experiencing the presence of Jesus. Disciple making involves introducing people to Jesus, baptizing people for Jesus, helping people grow in Jesus, and experiencing the presence of Jesus. And students, it's going to require you to be bold, but you never know what kind of impact you're going to have. I want to close with this story. Lee Strobel, who wrote the book, uh, The Case for Christ. He was an atheist. 
In fact, he was a journalist at a, a publication uh, in Chicago. And he was so tired of hearing people talk about Christianity, he set out to disprove Christianity. And after he had done all the research trying to disprove Christianity, he became a Christ follower because he was absolutely convinced. He tells a story that one day after he had become a Christian, it was leading up to Easter, and he felt the Holy Spirit telling him to go into the business office at the newspaper that he worked for and invite one of his friends who was an atheist to come to Easter. So he walks into the business office, and he says, hey, to his friend, he says, hey, you know, Easter's coming up, and I'd love to invite you to come to church with me for Easter. And the guy says, are you kidding me? I'm an atheist. I'm not going to go. And he said, well, here's the reasons I believe Jesus rose from the dead. Here's why I trust who Jesus is. Here's what the scriptures say. He essentially shared the gospel with this guy and said, I'd love for you to come to church. Here's the church I go to. I'd love for you to come. And literally, the guy said to him, I will never go to your stupid church. Lee Strobel walked out of the office feeling very discouraged and and as he was telling this story, he said, for years he wondered, why did God send me into that business office? Because this guy remained an atheist. And then one day, one day a guy came up to Lee Strobel at church and said, hey, could I tell you how God used you to change my life? And Lee Strobel had never met this guy before. And he said, okay, sure. The guy said, do you remember several years ago when you walked into that business office and you started telling that guy at the desk, it was a really big desk, he said, remember when you started telling that guy at that big desk about Jesus and you shared the gospel and you invited him to church? And Lee Strobel was like, yeah, but we were the only two in the room. And he said, no, I was actually behind the desk working on the tile floor and you didn't even see me there. But he said, after I was hearing you talk about Jesus, my chest was, was on fire and I was thinking about what you were saying and I called my wife as, as soon as I got out of there and I said, honey, we need to go to church this Sunday. Well, we all as a family came to church that Sunday and we gave our lives to Christ. And it all clicked for him. You see, God had told Lee Strobel to be obedient. He didn't fully understand why. And I tell you that because I want to encourage you to be bold. You don't know what the outcomes are going to be of your conversations with people. You don't know how they're going to respond. But our job is to be bold and to be faithful and to trust Jesus. Because being a Jesus follower is the greatest adventure with the greatest purpose and the greatest reward. Which is why with every breath, we are an ambassador and we are disciple makers. And so when you think about the question, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? Let's show it up on the screen. I live for Jesus. That's our purpose. I live for Jesus. Now, as you're heading out, before you head out, I put another card on your chair that says, on one side, I have a purpose. Be an ambassador and be a disciple maker. And on the other side is one of my favorite prayers. I want you to pick that up right now because we're going we're gonna to pray this together. This is how we're going to close out our night. We're going to pray this together, and then you're going to head into your life groups. This was a prayer written by John Wesley in the year 1755. 1755. It's called the Covenant Prayer. 
And I want us out loud to read this together. In fact, I try to read this every single night before I go to bed. Maybe some of you want to do the same. But I feel like this prayer really encompasses what we've been talking about tonight. And so let's read it together on the count of three. One, two, three. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.